The scripture reading for tonight is found in Luke chapter 2. Christmas story, and then the text for the sermon will be verses 8 through 14. So we'll start reading at verse 1, and then we will read, well actually we'll read through uh, verse um, 20. So Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. By the way, my daughter asked me a question at the dinner table. Why is Mary called the betrothed there? Isn't she his wife by this time? Well, the the Greek grammar helps us here. Betrothed is in the the perfect tense, which means it's something that has happened in the past but has an ongoing consequence. And the idea that in the past he had been betrothed to her. And true, he was also married to her by this time too. But maybe Dr. Luke is emphasizing that Up until this point, there have been no sexual relations between them either. So he says, To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorified and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb. 
That's how far we read from God's word. Well, it's dark outside already. When I left my house at 3.30, it was pretty bright yet. By the time I got here, the sun was trying to set, and now it is dark outside already. Was Jesus born after the sun had set? We aren't told, are we? I always sort of assumed maybe it was getting dark by the time the baby Jesus was born, but we aren't told. So maybe Jesus was born yet while it was light outside on Christmas Day, or maybe he was, maybe they only found the stall after dark and the baby was born after dark. What we do know is that the story we have in front of us happened after dark. So the sun had set on Christmas Day, just like our sun has set. Isn't it great that from now on, I think our days are actually going to be getting longer. But it was dark that night, and outside of Bethlehem, there are some shepherds who are in the fields. And they are awake and alert yet, because it was their job to protect their sheep. It was dangerous to have sheep back in those days because of the predators around. They had wolves and they had bears, they had lions. Just like in the United States, it can be dangerous. Just in the news, just a few weeks back, there was a story about someone in the South who had their sheep attacked by coyotes and their herd dog killed nine coyotes and got badly injured in the process. But apparently, these shepherds had to stay up and watch their flock by night. If I had sheep, I wouldn't have to because I have two great Pyrenees. And guess what they do? They stay up all night, every night, and they guard the property. But these shepherds didn't have any great Pyrenees. And so there they are as the sun sets. Picture them in your mind. They have taken their sheep now. They probably have put them in some type of pens Pins that probably wouldn't totally protect them from wolves or other predators. So the sheep, the shepherds have to stay awake to guard them. Maybe they have a few little campfires going for light. I don't know. They have a few little huts maybe they put up or they can try to get some sleep if they want to. But there they are on Christmas night outside of Bethlehem, ready to protect their sheep as the night goes on. Their eyes are no doubt adjusting to the dark. And their eyes aren't going to be ready for what they will see shortly. Because what they will see shortly are glorious heavenly angels coming straight from heaven, appearing to them, and scaring the living daylights out of them. The title of my sermon is Glorious Heavenly Angels Appearing to the Shepherds. And tonight we're going to talk about the meaning of that, the reason for their appearance, and then finally the purpose of their coming. So darkness had enveloped the countryside. The sun had set over the Mediterranean to the west. And the shepherds are in the dark. And it just seems like it's going to be just another night like so many. Watching your sheep by night. Like, you know, Jacob had to do so many centuries before. Watching over Laban's sheep night after night. Sleepless night after sleepless night. Did the stars come out? 
It's been beautiful to see the stars showing up at night again after some cloudy days we've had. In fact, I can't remember if it was last week, Monday night or Wednesday night, I got home and it was dark and I got out of my car and I looked up to the sky and the constellations were all just hanging there. And I stopped and I was amazed. Have you had that? You look up and you see the constellations, you begin to perceive the grandeur of the universe God has made. And it moved me right away to prayer and to praise. Well, what must it have been like for these shepherds? Because that dark night, suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared from heaven. And as the glory of God shone around, and the shepherds must have been blinded, straight from heaven comes a mighty angel. We are told an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Notice it doesn't say the angel of Jehovah. In the Old Testament, you know, sometimes when it talks about the angel of Jehovah, it is the pre-incarnate Son of God. This isn't the pre-incarnate Son of God. The angel of Jehovah, the pre-incarnate Son of God, is not going to appear like that anymore because now the Son of God is incarnate in a little baby boy who is laying in a manger. So no, this is not the angel of Jehovah, but this is a glorious, mighty angel. We might think, well, maybe an angel of the Lord, a simple angel, is not so impressive. But clearly he impressed the shepherds. And remember how the Bible talks about angels. The psalmist talks about how the angels excel in might. Angels are powerful. I'm reminded of just one story in the Old Testament, the story when Hezekiah was king and Sennacherib's army was there trying to attack Hezekiah and the kingdom of Judah. And remember how the Lord sent an angel. Now, the text does there back in the Old Testament, 1 Kings, it says, the angel of the Lord went and killed 185,000 soldiers. But in that context, we're not told that it's necessarily the pre-incarnate Son of God, or just a mighty angel. The angels of God are powerful and mighty, and if a single angel can take out 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, these are glorious, powerful spirit beings. This is an angel. Today we see many pictures of angels as if they're, very, they're women. Long hair, feminine robes, or little baby angels. In the Bible, we find that the angels have men's names. They're given sort of a male gender, aren't they? Even though they do not marry or given in marriage. They are glorious, glorious persons. They don't have physical material bodies like we do. You and I have a physical material body. Angels don't have physical material bodies. They are spirits. Now, it's true at times they would appear... To people, and they would appear as if they were humans, just like the angel of Jehovah does. But angels don't have physical, material bodies. They're spirits. They're different species of angels. Glorious seraphim that stand in the presence of God and praise him for his holiness. They're cherubim, which are pictured in the Bible as, as being those who sort of like lead around God in his chariot. And then there are angels, different ranks of angels, mighty archangels. We don't know who this angel is. 
Maybe he was Gabriel. Gabriel has been sent on messages, on messenger trips like this. He has appeared to Zechariah. He's appeared to the Virgin Mary. Is this Gabriel appearing straight from heaven to bring the good news to the shepherds? We don't know who it is. So suddenly the night is lit up with the appearance of this mighty angel who is shining, no doubt, with reflective glory, the glory of the eternal God. If even Moses, when he came down from Mount Sinai, had his face shining and scared the Israelites, what do you think an angel must be like coming fresh from the presence of the eternal God? But did you catch that in the story, it's not just an angel of God that appears, but there's also a second source of light. We're told in verse 9, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Then we have a comma in our translation that says, And the glory of the Lord shone around them. So it seems to me we actually have two things. One, we have an angel appearing, scaring them with his holiness, with his brightness. But also we have an appearance of the glory of God. This is the Shekinah glory. This is an appearance of the presence of the eternal God. It's a token of the fact that we have a theophany. Remember how in the Old Testament there would be a white shining cloud that would be so intolerably bright. And it was a picture of the fact that God was dwelling with his people. So this night, the shepherds see two things. They not only see a glorious angel, they not only have the privilege of seeing a mighty angel, but they see a display of the glory of the Holy Trinity. And remember what the glory of God is. It is the shining forth of his inherent splendor and deity. No one can see God as he is in himself. The Bible tells us that if Someone would even be in a situation to see something of the essence of God. They would be destroyed, obliterated. So God in his condescension reveals himself through his glory, which is the shining forth. It is a display of his glorious attributes, whether his infinite wisdom, his almighty power. Certainly his holiness is on the forefront here. The ethical purity of the eternal God who cannot sin, but also his love, his astonishing grace, his covenant faithfulness. All these things are shining forth. And I think it is especially the holiness of God that is shining forth here. Even the reflective holiness that is shining in the face of this angel that scares the shepherds. So we're told, and they were filled with fear. In the Bible, we find that when people have a visit from an angel, they sometimes talk as if, oh no, we're going to die. Because we have seen, at least in that case, the angel of Jehovah. Here, the holiness of God is something that reminds the shepherds of their sin. It reminds them of how the light of God's holiness, when that is shown into all the crevices of our life. It shows our sin and our imperfections. And they have a profound consciousness of their sins. 
But the angel hasn't come to scare them. If he had come to scare them, he could have scared them. Maybe some of you kids have it. Maybe you have a brother who loves to scare you. My daughter has a brother who loves to scare her, if possible. Well, guess what? This angel has not come to scare them. And right away, he, he, he calms their fears. I'm sure he says in a very kind, encouraging way, he says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. So he says, don't be scared. He says, I bring you, literally, he uses the word for gospel. He, he says, I bring you good news. You should be happy I'm here. I have, I have something that you're going to want to hear. He says, it will be of great joy. Something that's going to make you happy. What did you kids get for Christmas presents? My son was sharing today that he remembered when he was a little boy, one time he he opened his Christmas present, and it was this little book that had all these like little puzzles where you just connect the dots, and it's not what he wanted for Christmas, and so he cried. Well, maybe you got a Christmas present yesterday or today, and when you opened it, guess what your face looked like? And your mom or dad quickly got out the camera and got a picture because there was a smile of joy on your face. This is what you wanted. Well, the angel says, the message I have is the one that's going to bring a smile to your face. It's going to bring elation. It's going to bring joy. And what it is, it's, it's going to be something that makes them happy. He says it is for all the people. I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. And the question is, who does that refer to? All the people. In this context, I think the fact that we have the, the article going with people, probably does point that the shepherds would have understood this as referring to the covenant people. Those are the distinct people. They're the people of God, especially those are the ones who are going to have big smiles on their face when they hear what the angel has to say. So first of all, this is going to be good news to the covenant people, but of course we know that the promises of the covenant that came to Abraham. Also, guess what? Were promises that said, Abraham, in your great descendant, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So this is going to be good news, not only for elect Jews, but also for elect Gentiles. Now, for a moment there, there was just one angel. Just this one glorious angel. And his arrival had caused quite the response in the shepherds' minds and hearts, just having one angel appearing to them. And then what do we find in the text? We find that, well, he gets a visit that's even, they get a visit that's even more astonishing than that. In verse 13, we're told, And suddenly... Notice the language of how quick this all happened. It surprises them. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, and they're saying all these glorious things. So isn't that something? One moment you're out there in the dark and one angel appears. And then, after he said a few things, suddenly from heaven comes this entire angel army. 
so that all the constellations are obscured because there are thousands upon thousands of angels? Are there ten thousands of ten thousands of angels? Are there hundreds of thousands of angels? Can they see them coming like Jacob did? Remember, Jacob had, saw that stairway going to heaven and angels ascending, descending. Suddenly, the bewildered angels see this massive host. We're told that there was a multitude of them. The word multitude points to the fact that there's a, an uncountably large number of them. You go outside tonight and... If you, if you go outside before, I hear we might get a little snow as the night progresses, but you go when it's clear yet, you might still see, you know, hundreds and hundreds of stars. This is probably more, more angels. And then their, their heavenly hosts were told. The word host, actually, is a word which in the Greek stratia can refer to an army. Why? Because... An army is often a large, uncountable group of people. And so the word host refers to this big group of people. And the word was also referred, used to refer to a massive army. And it's very fitting, isn't it, that Dr. Luke should use this word to refer to angels because they do fight for the cause of God. They have their ranks. We know that the demons are fighting against the elect angels. There is a conflict going on. They are the army of God. God has at his disposal all these mighty angels, and he sends them out on his missions to fight for his people. In fact, we can't see them tonight, but it's very possible that around us and surrounding us are some of these mighty, glorious angels, unseen by us because they are spirits. But here there are hosts and hosts of them. They're heavenly hosts, yes, because they reside in heaven. You know, this was an amazing scene for the shepherds to see, but think about five minutes after you die and I die, what we're going to see. We and our loved ones who have already gone to sleep in Jesus, they are seeing scenes far more astonishing than this. They are seeing glorious angels. They're seeing myriads of angels. That's how the Bible talks in the book of Revelation. There are millions and millions of angels that minister before the Lord Jesus Christ right now. Can you imagine the scenes that the saints see in heaven? Glorious, mighty angels. There weren't just 50 here, or 150, or 1,500 Myriads and myriads of, of angels obscuring the constellations. I got a kick out of how some commentators thought every angel wanted to be here, so every angel showed up. I doubt that's the case. There wouldn't be enough room in the skies probably for them there. But certainly hosts of angels, an army of angels is sent from heaven to join in this glorious event. John Milton, he imagined them in ranks. He said... The helmed cherubim and sordid seraphim and glittering ranks with wings displayed. The stars with deep amaze stand fixed in steadfast gaze. I think I got the biggest kick out of, though, how R. Kent Hughes described them. Because he described them in terms of color. I never had really thought about that before. 
He says, I think every one of God's angels was there. I think the heavenly host stretched from horizon to horizon, obscuring the winter constellations. I like to imagine that they radiated golds, pinks, electric blue, hyacinth, and ultraviolet. Maybe some were even sparkling. I don't even know what color hyacinth is. But it's interesting that Hugh says these angels have all these glorious colors. And that's very possibly the case. And when we see the angels and the seraphim and the cherubim in the future, we're going to see glorious, angelic creatures. Beautiful, glorious, powerful. The shepherds must have been stupefied to see this sight. When had anything like this happened before in history? We are told it's true back in the book of Job that when God created the world, the sons of God, the angels, sang for joy. Well, now, now the Son of God, through whom all things will be made known, new again has appeared, and now the angels come again. Of course, isn't it amazing how much the elect angels love us? You know, the Bible says that when one sinner repents... These glorious angelic creatures that are so powerful, they can fly around, can do all these amazing things regarding us. Well, they, they rejoice and celebrate over one sinner who repents. How they love the church. How they love us. And then, of course, one of the most profound passages about angels is in 1 Peter 1, verse 12, where it talks about how when it comes to the mysteries of the gospel and the Old Testament prophecies pertaining to the coming of the Savior, Peter talks about how the angels would like to like, pry into those things. They'd like to look into those things. they desire to look into these things. So it's almost like God hasn't revealed to the angels everything that he's going to do in the great work of redemption, of redeeming these human beings, these men and women of flesh and blood, so that the angels, they're, they're so interested. And here they are. It's no wonder they're interested too, because think about it, how... These angels have seen something of the glory of the Holy Trinity in heaven. They know who the Son of God is. They have been worshiping the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in paradise. Coram Deo. And so they have a sense of the glory and the majesty of the Son of God who always was and is. He is God of God, light of light. And so they have worshipped and bowed down to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in paradise, and now they realize the marvel of what is happening. The Son of God has united himself to human nature in the womb of the Virgin Mary. So they know something of the riches and the majesty of the Son of God, and so you can imagine their astonishment to see how the Son of God, in human flesh, is born to a poor mother in a barn. Now, why did these glorious angels appear? Well, the reason is they've come to give a birth announcement. Have you ever got a birth announcement in the mail? You didn't know that someone had their baby, and then you get a nice little birth announcement. It shows a little picture of the cute little baby. And they say, we announced we had a little baby boy or girl, and this is the baby's name. This is a birth announcement. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Notice how the angels say to the shepherds, To you, for you, for unto you, this baby has come to save elect shepherds, lowly shepherds, despised shepherds. Shepherds in those days didn't have a good reputation. They were known for being like carnival workers. When I grew up in the small town of Edgerton, Minnesota, every year we'd have the Dutch Festival. And the carnival workers would come and they'd set up all the rides. And they, had, they didn't have the best reputation. Shepherds didn't either. They couldn't even testify in court. Even though, of course, David had been a shepherd in Bethlehem. And yet, the doctors of theology, the seven ruling members of the Sanhedrin and King Herod are not the ones who get the birth announcement. Instead, it is the shepherds. Not many wise, not many powerful does God choose. Why does God, in his great decree of election, decide to choose many who are lowly, uneducated, not famous, so that no one would glory in his presence? And so also Christ came to save elect shepherds. And the angel says, For unto you is born this day. A baby is born. That is the marvel of Christmas. I always tell my students, too, how, why is it that the church developed the doctrine of the Trinity? It's because of Christmas. Who is this baby laying in the manger? It is the Son of God in human flesh. The person of the eternal Son has united himself to a true human nature in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And so we have all these marvelous, marvelous realities going on here. According to his divine nature, the Son of God is feeding every creature in the universe. And according to his human nature, he's dependent upon Mary's breast milk. For unto you is born this day, all oh, this, this baby is born long, long ago promised. And Satan has been going after him all these centuries. Satan in the book of Revelation is pictured like a great red dragon waiting for the Christ child to be born to go after him. Cain killed Abel. Before the flood, it seemed like the wicked people would take out the righteous. Pharaoh tried to destroy the Israelites throwing their baby boys in the Nile River. Haman tried to kill the Jews in Persia. Antiochus Epiphanes, a few centuries before, had, as a typical Antichrist, murdered the Jews. But now the baby is born. And notice what the angel says. He doesn't say in, in the town of Bethlehem. No, he says in David's city. What, what is he emphasizing? He's emphasizing that this is David's city. He's emphasizing the Davidic covenant. God had said, David, you want to build me a house? I will build you a dynasty. And one of your sons will reign forever and ever and ever. In that town, Jacob had buried Rachel. In that town, Naomi had come back home complaining. Boaz had redeemed Ruth. And then David had lived. And Micah had predicted from this little town that he didn't make a census early on in Israel's history. The king would come. And the angel says, the one who's born, the baby who's born is a savior who is Christ the Lord. 
He is the Savior. We hear that word so much, you know, the danger is that that word loses its force and its power. Of course, the Roman emperors would use that word because they thought that they rescued people. They were so terror, that was one of their titles. But no, this, this, this one who is born, he is the great rescuer. He is the great deliverer. He's the one, you know, in the Old Testament, all those animal sacrifices for all those hundreds of years, all pointed to this one who would really save his people from their sins because his name is Jesus, Jehovah, salvation. He is the deliverer. He is the one who has rescued us from Satan. He has rescued us from our sin. He's delivered us from the wrath of God. And so we are secure. He is the Christ. What high titles are given. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah, the angel is saying. He's the long-awaited Messiah, a prophet, priest, and king. And because he is also the eternal king, he is Lord. Of course, that word is also used in the New Testament to refer to God as the sovereign ruler of the universe. This baby who has been born, he is Lord. He is the king of kings. He's the one who now through his cross has bought us so that we're owned and we belong to him. This baby is the savior. He would grow up and he would die on the cross and he would pay for all of our sins. And then, when the myriads of angels joined the single angel, what they said was this. They said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I did a kick out of the commentators, spend time talking about, did they chant this? Did they sing this? You know, we have these songs that we sing where we take their words and we sing them. We don't know if they sang them or not. All we know is that they praised God, and they said these things. They said, glory to God in the highest. What they are saying there is that in the highest heaven, in paradise, where the church triumphant is, and where also the holy angels reside, and the seraphim and the cherubim, they're saying, may God there be exalted. Actually, what they're saying is he is being exalted. He is being glorified his perfections, his great wisdom in embarking on this amazing work of redemption, his marvelous love that he's showing towards these rebellious human creatures of flesh and bones. May he be praised for his astonishing love and his grace. And they say, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now some of us grew up on the King James Version where they didn't have the best translation there. And there, were, there seemed to be talk about peace on earth among men of goodwill. And there are translations that talk like that. Well, those are problematic translations. As if there are two kinds of people in the world, men of goodwill and men of bad will. And the people of goodwill, those are the people who are going to have peace. No, there are none of the fallen sons of Adam who in themselves have any type of goodwill or anything like that. We have in our ESV a good translation here. The language here is referring to God's good pleasure. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased, or those towards whom he has good pleasure. 
And as Reformed believers, we exalt in this language because we know that's the language that exalts God and explains why it is that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Why did he set his love upon us and and not upon others? Well, the answer is, it simply was his good pleasure. It simply was his choice. It simply was what delighted him. It simply was his sovereign decision as the sovereign potter. And so the angels say there is peace on earth among those with whom God is pleased, those whom he has set his good pleasure on. So God has set his good pleasure upon us. He has chosen us. He loves us. And he grants us peace too. Peace through the cross. So we're at peace with God. You know, after you fall into sin, you might have a, have a guilty conscience, but remind yourself, no, no, because of Christ, God is at peace with me. He's not my enemy. It's true, I sometimes act like he, I am his enemy, but God also brings me to repentance. And I realize that he is my friend and I am his friend. We are at peace. And therefore, we can also have this deep sense to this deep assurance that all of our sins are forgiven. Because we are reconciled to God. What was the purpose of this appearance? Yes, it, it was to bring a birth announcement, but it was also so that these shepherds would go and worship the newborn king. In Luke 2, verse 12, we're told that the angels appear to the shepherd in order that they might learn about the newborn king and go and worship him. We're told, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. In the Greek here, it says this will be the sign. So this is the particular sign. It's not just a sign like our versions might imply. This is the sign. Here's the one sign. And the one sign is that the baby will be wrapped in swaddling cloths, which maybe wasn't so rare. That might have happened more often. But especially the sign that the baby is not only going to be wrapped in swaddling cloths, but is also going to be sleeping in a feed trough. That's the sign. And the, angel, the angels don't even need to tell them, okay, now go and visit the king. No. What happens when you have a loved one and they have a little baby born? What do you do? Well, you want to go to their house and see the little baby. And that's what these shepherds do. It's interesting how Dr. Luke records for us what they said. He must have got this from the Virgin Mary. We're told in verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, I mean... Just picture that for a moment. All these glorious angels are filling the night sky, and then they begin to leave. And they go back to heaven where they came from, and the shepherds are watching this until every single one of them is gone, and it's dark again. And then we're told even what they said. They said, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And verse 16 says, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. I know someone commentary bothered himself to say, this is the first example of the Bible where we find someone all busy and harried in the Christmas season because they made haste. But what is striking about the story here is that they right away go. And they go to the town of Bethlehem. 
Do they just leave their sheep behind uh, with one person to watch them? Or do they say, no, if God wants us to come and see this newborn king, then certainly he will guard and watch our sheep for us while we are gone. They could have probably easily trusted in him to do that. But they go, they run hurriedly. They run through the night. They come to Bethlehem. They search around town. They must have been asking, has anyone heard about a baby being born? And somehow they found their way to the stall or the cave, wherever the baby was born. And they go inside and they meet Mary. They see Joseph and they see the baby. And there, sure enough, as the angels told them, there is this little baby boy and he's wrapped in swaddling cloths. Yes, and he's not in a bassinet, he's in a trough. And so they knew it was the baby who had been announced to them. How, how, how seemingly absurd this is and how inconsistent with what the angels told them. The angels said this baby is, is the Savior Christ the Lord, the promised Messiah. And then they go and they find this poor little couple. They find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. There wasn't even room in the end. It's in a dark barn stall. All this lowliness. This is the glorious and eternal Son of God in human flesh. This is the great promised son of David who would reign forever and ever. And all they see is this little newborn baby boy. And you know how how babies look, their faces all scrunched up. Little baby boy, dependent. But they are impressed. They see Mary, the Theotokos, Way back in the early history of the church, Nestorius did not like that people were using the word Theotokos referred to the Virgin Mary because it means God-bearer. And so the Council of Chalcedon had to respond to Nestorius and say, no, it's appropriate to refer to Mary as the God-bearer because she is, in fact, the one who is the mother of the Christ who is truly God and truly man. So they see Mary and then they leave. And I love how they go around and they tell people, they tell people what they saw. How could they keep quiet? But what the angels had told them and what they had seen. So they made known the saying, we're told. And everybody who heard it wondered. People were amazed. I love how the contrast is, is that Mary instead is quiet. She's pondering these things in her heart. But they went back, we're told in verse 20, and they returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And that's how we leave God's house tonight, too. We leave praising God, celebrating the Father who sent his Son into this world, celebrating the Son who became a man for us. And we also celebrate the Holy Spirit who indwells us so that we believe everything the angels told the shepherds. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Christmas story, and we praise you for making the story to be so vivid, to causing such remarkable things to happen so that our little children can be intrigued by the stories of the birth of Jesus, the visit of the wise men, a star that could be followed so that he could be found later on by the wise men. We thank you so much for the Christmas story, and we thank you so much for the good news that was proclaimed by those angels. 
And we're so glad, too, that we shall soon meet all these glorious angels in paradise. Hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.